Okay, verse 5 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which he also suffered. First of all, as you read through this and having read through it, you get into what in the theological circles is called eschatology. And eschatology simply means nothing but theologians arguing about the future or about death. It's a theological term used in theological circles which ought to be knowledgeable of. And it's spelled E-S-C-H-A-T. Eschatology means the theology dealing with things of the future, death, resurrection, return, advent, all those. The which is in verse 5 is in italics, which you are all cognizant of. And the reason these words are put in here is because it's axiomatic that they must be supplied. They're words that are just to be understood. The last phrase, persecution and tribulations that ye endure, which is just to be understood. It's a figure of speech called an omission, ellipsis, meaning an omission. And of course, the which is puts it into the nominative. So it's an elliptical nominative. A manifest token, the word translated manifest token is the Greek word spelled E-N-D-E-I-G-M-A, which is a passive form, and it literally means a thing pointed out or a thing proved, P-R-O-V-E-D. It's a manifest token. A thing pointed out or a thing proved. Well, what is it that's being proved? How is it being proved? And this is the whole point of this particular verse of the righteous judgment of God. If you endure, in verse 4, the endurance will be rewarded. And the manifest token, the thing that's pointed out, the thing that proves that you are a Christian, that you belong to him, and therefore the righteous judgment of God is part of your believing, part of your inner self, has to be speaking in tongues. So the manifest token, you couldn't translate it speaking in tongues, but there's nothing else that would indicate to you a manifest token except speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the token of the presence of God in Christ in you and because of your believing in all your persecution, tribulations that ye endure, which we handled in verse 4, of the righteous judgment of God. The word judgment is the word krisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, transliterated into our English word crisis, C-R-I-S-I-S also used in the English word criterion. The word judgment, I think, is a very well-translated word, semantically understood. 
I think it's better than crisis or criterion because crisis and criterion many times in people's minds and the usage of it would be nothing but a turning point. It's a crisis. It's a turning point. The criterion is a turning point. This judgment is a separating and that word crisis will readily allow the usage of all three, but this separating to me seems to be much more accurate than just crisis or criterion, See, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment. The word righteous is dikaios, D-I-K-A-I-O-S, meaning right or just. There could be no accurate judgment without a just God, and since God is just, the judgments of God are going to be accurate. The question naturally arises, when? And that will not be answered until you get down to verse 10. And verse 10, when he shall have come. <laughs> not now, but when he shall have come. And that's after the gathering together. Your faithfulness, your patience, your believing. And it's because of your believing in the true God and the accuracy of God's word that you suffer persecution and tribulation of verse 4. But you just keep on believing because there's a day coming that there will be the righteous judgment of God. And that day will be when he shall have come. And this righteous judgment cannot apply to you because you're going to be in the gathering together before that righteous judgment of God comes to pass. And you are not in the judgment that is spoken of here. You are in the rewards, as we will see later on. And in the next phrase, you have the purpose of God and the result that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Literally, it means that to you, deserving of the kingdom of God. Counted worthy is deserving of. Deserving of what? Rewards. I put four rewards in parentheses behind worthy. Because of your faithfulness, your patience, your believing, standing, just enduring anything anybody says, you just stay put on God's word that you may be deserving of rewards of the kingdom of God. This is just a direct encouragement to stand faithful that ye may be deserving of, counted worthy of, rewards. The preposition of in, some text could be translated in, found worthy in the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God. The church of the bride is not the kingdom of God. The church of the body is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the overall reign of God. 
if you'll think of it in terms of a semicircle, what is it, 180, 360, or 180, yeah, just a big old dome all over the top. That's the kingdom of God from everlasting to everlasting over the top. So everything comes under the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven is one segment under it. The church of the bride is one segment, church of the body. So there are different things under the kingdom of God. And it's interesting that this whole verse, when it talks about the judgment of God coming, but you not being in it, in that judgment of God, because you will have been gathered together unto him. This happens after he has come. And because of your stand on the accuracy of God's word, standing for God's word with patience, with believing in spite of all persecution and tribulation, you're deserving of rewards in that kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is again the reign of the king. And the king is God. It's the reign of a king, kingdom. D-O-M is the reign of a king, and the king is God. And this, of course, biblically comes to pass when Jesus Christ shall have done all the things, and God is all in all, as it says in the word. For, the preposition for is the word huper, H-U-P-E-R, which means in behalf of or because of. which ye suffer also. Because you stand for the truth of God's word, that's why you're suffering. That's why you get persecuted. And it is a willing suffering because you deliberately will to stand for God's word and you do stand for God's word. Therefore, that suffering, that persecution, those tribulations are all just willingly accepted because we just stand for God's word. Their sufferings here in Thessalonica were due to their believing. Thus, the rewards are given. Not suffering for rewards. You know, you don't lay on a bed of spikes to get a reward. Because of your faithfulness in believing, there will be sufferings and thus you're entitled to the rewards because of your faithfulness. Not judgment, but rewards. And it's certainly not suffering for rewards. This suffer also is just like Paul and Silas and Timothy had suffered or were suffering because the same thing that Paul went through, these people were going through. And I believe that's why the word also is there. Three or four of the translators drop the word also. But they drop anything they want to drop. Verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Here in chapter 1 verses 6 to 10. I want you to put a word that's going to become very important. It's the word rest, R-E-S-D. And in chapter 2, 1 to 12, you will have general admonition about 
this rest that's coming. Verse 6, seeing it's a righteous thing with God. The it is is in italics in your King James. The Greek word is iper, E-I-P-E-R, which makes it a conditional phrase. And according to its usage, it's an intensified form which will leave no doubt as to its reality. And it could literally be translated, if so be. And the if is the conditional part. Conditional part emphasizing that there's no doubt as to its reality. And I think King James did a pretty good job in translating it there in verse 6, seeing it is. I think it's even stronger than if so be a righteous thing. You see, it's a righteous thing with God who is righteous to judge righteously. A just God absolutely demands such a requital. A world in which justice would not be complete justice could not be God's world again. If an earthly judge was absolutely just, his judgment would be what? Righteous. And that's why this verse is really something. Because people want to take a crack at God and say, well, God wouldn't do this. Was well, an absolute righteous judge. The preposition with is the preposition para, which means to rest or be beside. It's a righteous thing, rest, because you're right beside God in the judgment of God. Rest. Parai is to rest, to be at ease. Now, how in the world could you and I, as the body of Christ, be at rest, be at ease, knowing of what is coming in the future, if we did not know we had eternal life and were able to speak in tongues. How could you be at ease tonight as a Christian if you thought you had to go through the tribulation? You couldn't. And that's why this is very wonderful in here. The with God, righteous thing with God, to be at rest beside in the judgment of God. And because of the righteousness and the justice of God, the last portion of this verse, God will recompense tribulation, affliction to them that trouble you. A literal translation would be to those troubling you, he'll trouble. To those who have ridiculed you, persecuted you, said bad things about you because of your believing in the true God and standing for the greatness of God in his word and you've endured, just stood. When he shall have come, he's going to recompense affliction or tribulation to them who have troubled the believers. This has to be if God is a just God. 
then the very people who think that they're getting away with stuff can never get away with it because there is a God and that God is what? Just. And justice demands the things that the word sets forth. Now verse 7. And I'd like to say to you again, you can never go beyond the covers of God's word for its explanation. You've got to get the accuracy from the word and the word interprets itself. It has to be in the covers of God's word. Verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, those believers who have been persecuted with tribulation and all the rest of the stuff that people throw at them. Rest with us. This is referring to the time of the revelation of Christ, which will be to God's enemies. And the word rest, the best way I can maybe show it to you, if you've seen a bow string on a bow, real taut, just you'll sing when you flip it almost. It's that taut, T-A-U-T. The word rest is just the opposite of that. It isn't taught. It's free from tension. It's free from pressure. It is not free from toil. It just hasn't got any tension. No pressure. That's the word rest. Be at rest. The word with is the Greek word meta, M-E-T-A, which means among or amid, in company with us. It isn't a rest in death. That's not what it's talking about. But it's the rest free from tension, free from pressure because of the hope of the return. That's the greatness of it. See, most religions teach, pagan as well as Christian, that when you die, you're at rest. And that is the peace. That's not true. The rest is that in spite of everything people can throw at you, you don't succumb to the pressures. You don't allow the afflictions, the persecutions to waver you. You just walk with the rest without any tension, without any pressure. Just keep walking. And this rest reaches its complete fulfillment. You not only have it now while you're living, but you have it at the gathering together. And the word when is totally in error in verse 7. I believe the reason they got the word when in here when they should have left it out because the Greek word does not, nor does the Aramaic allow the word went in here was because the people when, when they translated this thought of and had already been, you know, the mind was already 
at the place where you're only going to get rest after all the judgments are over with. And that's why it's when. The text reads, and I'll give it to you, E-N is one word, T-E, long E. Next word, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-E-I. Those are the three Greek words here that are used. The word N is in or at. At, K is the apocalypse. And the word apocalypse, apocalypsis means at the revealing, at the appearing. Rest with us at the appearing. Not when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, but at the apocalypse. You hear phrases used in religious circles like apocalyptic literature, which means literature that talks about the return. People will use the word rapture. You've heard that word. They'll talk about the rapture. The word is apocalypse, apocalypse. And that's why the book of Revelation, the Greek word is apocalypse. I don't know if it's got it in the King James at all or if it doesn't. doesn't say it here. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, second word, the word revelation is apocalypse. The revelation or the appearing of the Lord has two major divisions in it. Just like the first coming of the Lord has two major divisions. The first coming, born in Bethlehem, crucified in Jerusalem. All of that happened under one appearing, so to speak. This apocalypse to the church of the body it is called the parousa. That's the Greek word that's used. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. -A. And those of you who have read our work on Are the Dead Alive Now will have all of this in your head. The second phase is the word advent. The first part of the parousa deals with the gathering together of the body. The second part, the advent, deals with the gathering of Israel. Those are the two great divisions. We are going to be at rest with God at the revealing, at the revealing, at the time of the apocalypse when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. And the word revealed there again is the word apocalypsis, appearing, unveiling, revelation. From heaven, we're going to be at rest when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. The word from is the word apo, meaning away from. 
Hebrews 8.1 talks about, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand, the important phrase, set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, set on the right hand. This from heaven is the first of three prepositional phrases. The word heaven is used in the singular in the Bible when it is set in contrast with earth. It's in the plural when it's talking about everything that God has in the expanse like the heavens and the earth. It's not set at that point in contrast with it. Genesis 1.1 is a beautiful illustration of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens, is the text, plural. I think in King James, it's singular in your translation in Genesis, isn't it? All the texts are plural. Hashemayim, plural, heavens and the earth. This section, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven, is something I think you ought to really understand, especially the usage of the word heaven, both singular and plural. That record in Genesis 1-1 that I just quoted you is what Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5 calls the heavens were of old and the earth. Verse 6 the world that then was is Genesis 1 1 in corresponding with 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. 2 Peter 3 7 has but the heavens and the earth which are now. That's the present administration in which we're still living, and that's also. The one of Revelation 21. For the first heaven. You see that word first? The word first is former. The former heaven and the former earth were passed away. That's the one you and I are in now. And while I'm here in Revelation, so I don't have to come back, he saw a new heaven and a what? That's the third one. We're going to hit it in a few minutes. But from Peter, from Peter, the heavens and the earth which are now kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment. That's the one of Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished to one. All the host of them. That's the heavens and the earth which are now. The new heaven and the new earth that we just read about in Revelation, the first part of the verse, corresponds with 2 Peter 3.13. Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And that's the third heavens and earth. 
Paul was caught away, it says, to the third <laughs> heaven. It says in King James, caught up. No, he was caught away. The first heaven and earth is the one of Genesis 1-1. The second heaven and earth is the one we live in now. The third heaven and earth is the future one of Revelation, which is the new heaven and the new earth. So Paul was caught away to the third heaven, not caught up, but caught away. And by revelation, God showed him that which he was not allowed to speak or utter. And yet John later on wrote about it in the book of Revelation. I thought I'd like to check Isaiah 65 with you. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered. <laughs> See, that's the third one he's talking about. Chapter 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, That again is the third one. And in chapter 51 of Isaiah, verse 16, and I put my words in thy mouth and I've covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth. That is also that third heaven and third earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you've had this too. We talk about when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. 1.10, talking about, and to wait for his son from where? That's the same truth. All the believers who have been troubled will be at rest at the time of the revealing of the Lord from heaven. And that I have to carry you to verse 10 for a moment, which we'll take up later. But verse 10, when he shall have come to be glorified in his saints. And this is accurate. This is a different word entirely than the one in verse 7. And it must be translated when. It's absolutely accurate in the King James. When he shall have come is the text to be glorified in his saints. How could scripture be any plainer, the word of God any clearer than what it is here to tell us that the church of the body never goes through the wrath of God or the persecution or the judgments of God that everybody wants to lay on the Christians. It just couldn't be any plainer. And that's the day when that righteous judge will do the judging. The day you and I live in is man's day, man's judgment. Remember that in Corinthians, where is that? First Corinthians what? 4.3. But with me it's a very small thing that I should be examined of you or of man's day, man's day. Judgment is the word day. Today man does the judging, but we're talking about the time when Christ returns 
the church of the believers who stood faithful in that patience and all that which is mentioned are going to be at rest at the time of his revealing from heaven. Secondly, it says, with his mighty angels. That's the second prepositional phrase. From heaven is the first, with his mighty angels is the second. The emphasis is on the word mighty because the text reads, with his angels of might, genitive case, putting the emphasis on the might of the angels. And his coming at that time will be with his mighty angels. And I thought of Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. In chapter 25 of Matthew 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And we know that the Gospels are addressed to Israel. And closing up of the Old Testament. But not the fulfillment of it because the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment comes with the return. Remember? And at the time when he comes with his angels of might or his mighty angels, we're going to be at rest. And we should so walk in this life that with all the persecution, the affliction or anything else, we're not taught like a bowstring. We are at rest. We are without tension, without pressure. People may pressure you, but that does not mean you have to be under it. And so I thought about how there can be no mistake about the truth of what I'm setting before you because God doubles it here. You're at rest in verse 7 and when he shall have come to be glorified in verse 10. First is the rest we shall have at his revelation in judgment. That's number one. Secondly, the rest we already have when he is revealed in judgment. The one truth you get from verse 7, the other one from verse 10. And I just can't understand how there can be any question in anybody's mind who honestly wants to work God's word to see any place where the believers go through the tribulation because we will be at rest with him before that ever occurs. And how can you go through something if you're not available to go through it? Now, I just want to tell you that the third prepositional phrase some of the people throw into it is in flaming fire. They start out from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Those three prepositional 
phrases. I'm sort of sorry that they put a verse here because the whole thing ties together much better if you just sometimes forget the verses and just read the context. Inflaming fire literally is a fire of flame. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, in a fire of flame. <laughs> the text. Out of the midst of a bush. In 19 of Exodus, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke <laughs> because the Lord descended upon it in fire. In chapter 24 of Exodus, verse 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount. In a fire of flame, or a flaming fire. I'd like very much in my mind to put together all of these three, you know, that I just gave you, the two of them, that one from heaven, with his mighty angels in a flaming fire because I think that's the thought content. I do not believe that this flaming fire has anything to do with burning anybody or giving them a hot foot. He is coming in judgment as the king of kings, God's righteous judgment. And that's why it's a fire of flame or a flaming fire because of the purity of that judgment. Other scriptures you want to look up for yourself, I'll give them to you. I looked them up. Psalm 18, 12. Isaiah 30, 27 to 30. And Daniel 7, 9 to 10.